In the beginning of the history of experimental observation or any other kind of observation on scientific things, it's intuition. It's intuition, which is really based on just experience with everyday objects that suggest reasonable explanations for things. Welcome to Two Shrinks Pod. I'm Amy Donaldson. And I'm Hunter Mulcair. This is a podcast all about psychology. Tonight we want to talk about anger because we're noticing that it's coming up a lot for everyone at the moment. When you think about the circumstances we're all in, it's not surprising. Between politics, COVID, the impact of restrictions, we're all feeling pretty powerless, lacking control, trapped. And so feeling angry about all this sort of stuff is pretty natural, especially when things aren't going exactly how we think they should be. So our plan for this episode is to talk about anger in a way that's useful, to explain how and why we experience it and what to do about it. But before we get into things, we always like to ask you to rate and review the show. Doing that on iTunes helps other people find our show by boosting us in the listings. You can also get in touch with us on twoshrinkspod at gmail.com or at twoshrinkspod on Twitter. Uh, We've got a website, twoshrinkspod.com as well. So as clinicians, we see anger all the time. When does it usually come up for you in your work, Hunter? Me personally or my clients, Amy? (laughs) Your clients. (laughs) So uh, if you haven't listened to this pod before, I'm a psychologist. I work with medically unwell people. Uh, Amy works with predominantly with children. So it comes up for me largely with people who are adjusting to a situation. So they're angry about... The situation that they're in so that would usually be for me uh, patients who've been diagnosed with cancer and they're angry about having cancer uh, having to go through treatments they're angry about a loss of a body part they're angry about the fact that they've told that they're going to die and that mm. they've got limited time so what a, a a common feeling in that situation is anger uh, and, and it's related, as we'll talk about, to other emotions, but it's a it's a common one. And often your job as a psychologist is actually to label w- with someone saying, hey, uh, you think you might be angry? Mm. Uh, and then I guess there's also just other things about just frustrations and angers about angers, angers. I'm not sure that's a word, um, mm. about things that have happened to them. You know, partners cheating on them, partners being idiots, children being frustrating. <laughs> I, I thought sh- you were just going to leave it at children. <laughs> I was going to just leave it at children. Uh, uh, you know, work, things like that. And then there, there's a group that will be a group of people who will often be have a more longer-term issue with anger. So n- mm. not necessarily that they have an anger problem, but they're, they're one of their default emotions will be anger. And then there is a group of people who I think, who I don't see particularly, but have anger problems. Yeah, that kind of thing. So what about for you in sort of the pediatric setting? What, when do you sort of see that? It's usually seeing a kid where the parents think that their anger is too much. Mm-hmm. So it's rarely the kid saying I'm too angry or I'm getting angry all the time or whatever. It's usually someone outside the kid who identifies it and goes, we can't live with this anymore is the common kind of thing. Yeah. And usually it's quite intense so for kids, because they're quite physical, it's stuff like hitting, kicking, throwing things, breaking things, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then the other way is I see a lot of kids with trauma. And so kids who have trouble regulating their kind of fight-flight response and just 
anytime they're triggered, go into rage yeah. uh, and then can't bring it back down. So those yeah. are probably the main two. Yeah. Um, it's pretty, I think the only times I've had a kid come and see me and say, I'm worried about how angry I get, they're actually not showing any anger or doing anything, like no one else would guess that they were angry. Mm. And it's usually an internal thing that they haven't expressed mm. and it bothers them, but everybody else kind of goes, uh, they're, they're fine, they're not. Yeah, I reckon, I reckon I've had something similar where people say I feel angry, but you wouldn't have picked it. Yeah, mm. that kind of thing. I mean, so... The question I I have for you is, were you taught about treating anger or, or what to do with anger as a clinician? Not until I did the trauma course, which was outside the, you know, mainstream training yeah. as a psychologist. Yeah, because I, I, I was thinking, I I think I've only sort of, I've sort of picked it up over time, mm. bits and pieces. I, I, at some point I did it, I ran an anger management group uh, as part of my training, but... Yeah, it's not so until that time. I don't think I'd ever had anything formal. It's sort of it's sort of interesting. So, one thing that I I wanted to sort of dovetail on why we were interested in this is it's it might seem like an odd topic for a podcast about psychology to talk about. Like, why would we want to talk about anger? Like, it's not it's you know our last episode was Schadenfreude, like which was kind of really interesting, but actually the, the topic of anger fits quite nicely with it. Because we talked in that about, you know, we have a reaction to something. In, in that case, it was, for example, Trump getting COVID. And we have this kind of laughter and then kind of like, oh, we're laughing at someone's misfortune. And then often the next emotion is rage or, or frustration mm. or anger. And so this might seem like a, a odd topic for us, but it actually, should actually be quite interesting for people to listen to, I think. Mm. We're going to kick it off with a bit of definition stuff and talking about the background to anger. So, Hunter, do you want to define what anger is? <laughs> We're really getting into our, our uh, this is an essay, and so we'll just define the topic. Define and then discuss. So, our, Amy, Amy, Amy and Hunter's top tips about uh, writing the essay, define the topic before you, and in your first, in your probably second paragraph. The introduction yeah, because yeah, you want an hourglass shape as yeah. you slowly narrow in on what you actually want to focus on and then out again at the bottom. <laughs> oh, God, I'm getting flashbacks to running essays. Uh, so, anger. See our show notes for reference list. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, what, so, what is anger, right? I uh, call what you need to think about is anger. Anger is a feeling. It's an emotion, right? It's complex, confusing, intense is probably... One of the things, you know, you think about physiologically, we get red, we get hot, thoughts racing, uh, thoughts are fixated. Mm. Anger gets people to pay attention. So so it's a signal. So if you think about emotions as a signal to you or a signal to other people, one of the things that anger does is gets people to pay attention. So this person needs something or this person or you need to stay away from that person because they're dangerous, right? So we're mm. sort of very, we're hardwired to uh, pay attention to when someone is looking, well, I was going to say angry, but probably angry and aggressive. Mm. So which kind of gets into something that's really important when you think about anger is it's different from being aggressive, right? So anger is an emotion. It can be disruptive. It can lead to destructive behavior and destructive actions. But anger itself 
is not necessarily destructive, right? It's just mm. an emotion. So it's okay to feel angry and it's okay to, to have anger. The problem is when anger is too frequent, is too intense, it lasts too long, or if it leads to aggression, that's when anger is a problem. So, you know, being angry at your child, for example, or, or angry at, a, at, a, at your boss or, or whomever, family member, that's okay when it's problematic is if it's prolonged, like it's always or it's really quick, or if it leads you to do something that hurts them or hurts or ends up hurting you essentially Mm. or both so aggression i guess is what you want to think about is behavior so psychologists like to think about differentiating emotion so that the feeling that you have internally you might express it externally you might not and then aggression is you know an action it's behavior so we think about emotions and behavior and in this case it's intended to cause injury it's intended to cause harm harm or damage so you might act aggressively towards a piece of furniture and smash it or Mm. you might hit somebody or or something like that so anger can underlie aggression but it's not the same thing right so one of the ways that if someone's got a a problem with anger then you kind of want to separate those two things out really Mm. and there's a lot of stuff around how we express anger and what's sort of normal or okay in our own families or in society or things like that. And there's a ton of research and and clinical information, whatever, about that different families have different rules around anger. So it might be that only particular people in families are allowed to get angry or allowed to show that or that girls aren't allowed to demonstrate that they're angry or that we were talking as we are preparing for this pod about how that if men are aggressive, it's frightening. And if women are aggressive, they're seen as crazy or sort of wild, out of control. Mm. And we kind of have all of these narratives around how we express anger and then what other people think about it. And that kind of will come into play as we talk about different types of emotions and where anger fits into things and that for some people it's really comfortable to express anger and for others it's terrifying yeah so we see that in therapy yeah and or that they're allowed to uh, express anger you know certain Mm. people in a family environment are allowed to express anger or certain people in a family are allowed to be aggressive there are different rules around what's Mm. acceptable uh, and what's not which i think is fascinating it is and it's interesting when you work with families because it's often not spoken like no one says the only person who's allowed to get angry is mum but when you actually sit them down and kind of go and break it apart and kind of ask questions around that sort of stuff everybody can identify what the rule is Mm. and everyone knows when they're breaking the family rule that hasn't been overted so so what one of the interesting things that can happen is if you get two people who want to get married Mm. or, or they move in together then you are getting literally marrying the two family systems into a new one and mm. the, there can be a period of negotiation which is probably a polite way to put it but basically where both partners suddenly realize that hey hang on when we live together you know one of us gets angry and the other person can't handle it Mm. that kind of thing and and that can cause a whole lot of conflict so there's reasons why people often need to go into couples counseling in their first year of marriage is because suddenly these rules that they have that they that Mm. were quote unquote unspoken suddenly come crashing head-on into someone else's rules 
Yeah, and we have them about all sorts of things. Like we have them about all different emotions, all different uh, kind of behaviours and things like that. But it's not until someone outside your family often comes into contact with that and kind of goes, well, that's weird or that's not okay, that you go, hang on a minute, everybody doesn't feel like this? Yeah, yeah, it's like, what what you mean you don't just scream at each other and then and then an hour later you're all fine or or yeah what do you mean no one screamed when that awful thing happened yeah yeah so you know hopefully some people are listening to that and kind of going nodding a little bit uh, one of the things that is helpful as a clinician when you're talking about emotions with someone is to think about the positive and negatives of an emotion because we negative emotions do actually have some positives and you know anger is typically referred to as a, as a negative emotion but you know, there's a reason that we have them. And I guess the the positives around anger is what I was saying at the top of the show, you know, motivating, it's, it's energizing, it gives you a signal that something's not okay, right? So you might get angry that you didn't get a mark that you wanted at school or at university, and mm-hmm. that might make you go, right, I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to go and do something about that mm. or something like at work. You're laughing I'm I'm laughing because what popped into my head was n- no child that that I I know whatsoever um, got really annoyed that her cousins wouldn't let her play a particular video game and said that it wasn't for girls and so she waited till they left and then wiped all their high scores off off the board by playing it over and over again until her name was just filling it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't talking about myself at all. No. <laughs> I think you see with energizing, you know, and there are other examples of, there are other examples of energizing behavior, you know, that anger and that frustration, you know. Mm. One of the kids that I worked with last year definitely used anger as a, a motivator in that their siblings and them all played the same game. They all played soccer and the two older siblings had tryouts for teams first and they both got in and then my client didn't and so then when the next season came along in that meantime he'd been practicing in the backyard and you know playing with his friends at the park and whatever to absolutely sort of wipe it and make sure that he got in yeah. as well yeah yeah so he was just furious at the idea that he wouldn't the the thought of something bad happening makes you angry and then so you act accordingly so you don't miss mm. out so i think that's that's really interesting i think also there's other situations around you know, anger can be a defensive and it helps us to get back in control mm. and it can also serve to protect us and, you know, and, and it's energizing in terms of protecting ourselves and, or protecting our love, loved ones and things like that. So, you know, in those cases, you know, you can sort of see how there's that energizing, suddenly you're angry and suddenly you do things really, really quickly to make sure you get it done properly. Mm. Negatives, here it's it's important to think the difference between aggression and anger. Mm. So I guess I think about it is that it disrupts the way you think. So the main thing I think about is you become very fixated. Mm. You know, so yeah, if, it's hard to do anything else when you're angry. Yeah, you can do things, but it's hard to attend to other things. Mm. Like, yeah. so the moments where I've gotten caught in being frustrated about something... I can find myself ruminating about it while I like clean the house, mm. you know, or drive to work or, or yeah. whatever it is. So, you know, so that, that that's that kind of thing. So it becomes consuming, definitely can make us do things impulsively. I certainly know my family has a rule about not driving when you're angry. 
and can lead to ingression and, and can have negative impacts on the way that others see us. To use a pop culture example, there's a bit of the David Fincher movie Seven where one of the detectives gets really angry and he's like, oh, I'm just feeding off my emotions and, and the other detective's like, what are you doing? You, you know, you're being an idiot. Mm. Like, And I think that, that it can really lead to problems if you're getting angry in a workplace or something like that. Mm, absolutely. The way I explain anger to people mm. in a clinical context and and I remember explaining this to a doctor and she was just like this is great and then she came and told me later on that as she'd explained it to a consultant and the consultant was just like this is amazing <laughs> I was like well it's kind of I don't know I think I, I don't know where I even got it from but basically if you you want to think about anger as as an iceberg so if you think about an iceberg you only see, was it like a third? The, mm. the tip of the iceberg, the, the bit of the iceberg that is above water is a tiny bit of the whole iceberg. And anger, anger is that bit above the water. And underneath the water is the big bit of the iceberg. And often what is driving anger is a, another emotion, a primary emotion. So usually that is anxiety. So that would be of feelings about loss of control. You're feeling out of control and so you get angry and then the, the function of anger is to get back in control. Mm. Or it can be to do with loss and sadness. So that's a sort of a depressive feeling mm. and anger at loss. So it's a slightly different. And so one of the key things to understand about your own feelings of anger is like, well, what what's going on there? And there are other other kinds of things that can drive it, but those are the those are the kinds of things I think about with what we call primary and secondary emotions and, and anger. What do you think about that? I think a lot of the time when I see anger, particularly for younger boys, it's often about sadness or fear. Like I feel like the the girls it's almost reversed where they'll report being scared. Or flat and then when we actually pull it apart it's anger underneath there seems to be a bit of a gender flip there about what's okay to be above the waterline i see that and often it's not very far under the surface those other things like yeah. that fear and stuff like that if you sit with the anger just for a little bit it dissolves away and you see just how frightened they are or how flat yeah and you know i think i think also you can get anger when it's sort of triggered from past events now that that might be as serious as a trauma but it might also just be other events where you feel you've been wronged and nothing was nothing was done and, and you've held on to that feeling mm. and you become quite reactive to it or it can be quite a something that you feel really important is to you and you might have an extreme reaction to it and might surprise other people around you mm. Anger can also be triggered from like quick assumptions that we have. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, you know, and whether that's beliefs about what's going on in in the moment or in the, or in future, that kind of stuff. Mm. So, Amy, that's the nuts and bolts of anger psychoeducation mm. one hundred and one for anger. Yep. Working with anger. Tell us about that. So the first step in working with anger is understanding it, pretty much. And so as we've Done. talked about, Done. I just did that. You just did that? You understand it perfectly? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Sorry, start it again. The first step of working with anger is figuring out, you know, recognizing it, figuring out what's going on, how you feel it in your body. There's a whole bunch of picking it apart that isn't something that you might normally do in your day-to-day -day life, but it's something that as psychologists we really 
we really zero in on. And so as we talked about in our last episode and we have tonight already is that feeling angry isn't a problem in and of itself. The actual emotion is okay and we have a whole lot of narratives around whether it's okay or not and often then don't acknowledge when we're feeling angry or don't understand it properly because it's kind of a shameful thing or it's a thing that we push aside. Mm. And so... Yeah, or, or, or I would say that or we get caught in a cycle where it's okay to be angry and mm. f- and, and it's fed so like it's the other way around you know i think that there's a lot of stuff like yeah there's a lot of stuff clearly with the right wing and the united states and a lot of stuff where it sort of it really feeds on anger and i think mm-hmm. also like you know we get addicted to social media and getting outraged at <laughs> whatever the outraging thing is and mm-hmm. it, and it can kind of we can kind of get caught in it get stuck yeah and so but i guess why that's important linking to that is we don't actually often realize that that's what we're doing mm. you know and, yeah. and, and it becomes it's sort of it isn't it because it's energizing it's an addictive it's a bit of an addictive emotion yeah get sort of sucked into the yeah. whirlpool of it yeah you feel strong you know yeah yeah and it might seem basic to talk about this stuff but a lot of people have trouble identifying how anger actually feels they might know what it's like when they're completely furious and wanting to sort of rip everything to shreds but they don't know how they're feeling before that so so i can relate a training experience i had on that where i had to videotape a session sessions Mm. with with patients and i thought i was hiding my frustration about (laughs) how the session was rolling coming out and and i was quite frustrated for a number of reasons and one of the most useful pieces of feedback I ever had was this supervisor. She she'd watched the video and she literally she sat down, put the video on the table on the table, and said, "You have no poker face." <laughs> <laughs> and it was incredibly in enlightening for me to kind of go, "Yeah, right, okay." I thought I was hiding that, and then I watched it back. I was like, "Yeah, no, wow, I didn't." Yeah, it's and, clear. And I'd done a lot of thinking about emotions, and I thought I was in touch with them, and but clearly yeah. not. Not necessarily. No. Yeah. And the the first questions that we often ask people about is what does anger feel like for you? You know, how do you know that you're feeling it? And often people don't know. They'll often describe the reasons why they're angry or they'll go, oh, because, you know, so-and-so did this, yada, 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 rather than going, oh, because I feel really tense or I notice that I'm grinding my teeth or that I'm stomping around the place or everybody's pissing me off. And they're not able to actually tap into that as the first thing. Usually it's kind of what they're angry about first. Mm. And we also ask people to where they feel anger in their body, which every time I've asked anybody that, they laugh at me as their first response. I don't know if you've had that response as well. Maybe that's just working with kids. I don't think I asked them. <laughs> kind of go, yeah. what? <laughs> they laugh and then they can identify it. What's interesting is that I've asked that question of parents and of kids and in general kids can identify where they feel emotions in their body far quicker than what adults can mm. it's it's like they're far more in touch with in touch with that well, i think there's a lot more shame with anger mm. yeah and yeah. also you will often get uh if you ask someone so where do you feel your anger that can make mm. someone angry mm. it's yeah, like you absolutely. tap into it yeah it really pushes a button so do you have any examples of where people might feel anger shoulders Mm. Like or like face, they might go red, or just in their head. I think 
just mm. like, I don't know, what do you reckon? What have you come across? Uh, hands are often like clenched yeah. fists. What's interesting is when you work with kids who are really prone to anger is that I do this activity with them where I draw a body outline and we put in all sorts of different emotions and they put where they feel them. Mm. And what's interesting with the kids who have this issue is that they often they always choose red as the color that's going to match anger and they'll often color in the entire body and they feel it everywhere yeah and often they'll describe like that it either just floods them from the top down or their feet up yeah and then as we work on it it slowly kind of separates out into these different areas but for them it's like a whole body yeah, I, I think one of the best depictions of it is in the movie Inside Out, where mm. where there's the core emotions. We did a podcast on Inside Out actually with School of Movies. It's really great. Check mm. out that on School of Movies feed. But the you know the character anger is just this short, stumpy guy who's really gruff and he's red, and then his head gets hot, and you can see the yeah. heat shimmer, and then it explodes. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is you you hear him escalate in terms of the the language becomes shorter and shorter and shorter and then mm. it explodes. Riley, if you don't eat your dinner, you're not going to get any dessert. Wait, did he just say we couldn't have dessert? That's anger. He cares very deeply about things being fake. So that's how you want to play it, old man? No dessert? Oh, sure. We'll eat our dinner right after you eat this. Right, right, here comes an airplane. Oh, airplane. We got an airplane, everybody. I think one of the things that I love about working with kids around anger is because they're so physical, they can really, they can tap into it, but then as we work on it or work on things that make them angry, they are pretty quick at noticing when their body's doing stuff that indicates that they're angry. So, you know, we'll be talking about something that's, that made them upset or whatever and all of a sudden they'll notice that they've got a clenched fist and they'll kind of go my fist is so angry and they'll be able to identify that and Mm. tap into it which Mm. is awesome to see because then it's well why is your fist angry and then we can talk about it whereas in my work with adults that rarely happened with that sort of physical lens to it yeah yeah i think it's much more about saying to somebody gently Mm. (laughs) you sound angry Mm. and and often actually persisting with that and saying, no, you actually sound like you're fucking angry about this mm. situation. Yeah. Um, and then and doubling down saying, well, you know, I, I'd be angry too. Actually, I feel angry hearing about it mm. or, you know, and validating it. From a therapy perspective, that's because what you're wanting to do is then get them to talk about it, mm. right, and provide a safe space for it. Exactly. And I think it's it's tricky to identify sometimes what you're feeling in that, all of those body sensations and physiologically what happens for us overlaps with other emotions. Like if you think about anxiety, that has a heart racing and you can get sweaty and hot and mm. feel like you need to run away or whatever. And all of those things can come in with anger as well. So mm. it's kind of, we're not explicitly taught this stuff. We just kind of muddle our way through it. And it's pretty easy to mistake those overlapping things yeah and when we get angry we often feel really awful afterwards Mm, like so either the anger persists or we feel 
really shaken, anxious, or like, mm. re- or it's brought up a real feeling of distress. Yeah, so, which is hard to calm down from as well. Yeah, or it can be, or it can, can you know, trigger like a depression. So, mm. yeah, I worked with a gentleman who'd lost his wife and he was angry about something very inconsequential. And, you know, and I called him on that. And then the subsequent sessions were about dealing with him being upset that mm. about his wife dying, not that not the thing he was angry, but you know, that was it was sort of a gateway into into that feeling. Mm. So once you got past that. Yeah. So so yeah. so I guess what would I guess we as we sort of think about it, anger is anger is quite a complex thing to think about, feel, work with, I guess. Mm. What other questions do you have when you're working with someone, you know, working with someone around anger? What what are the kinds of things you're looking for? I often ask about how quick it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get them to, if we're in the same room pre-COVID times, I'll get them to draw on a whiteboard or on a piece of paper what it looks like. You know, does it look like a really, you know, vertical line straight up that it immediately kicks in or does it build up over a while or that sort of thing and then at the other end as well how quickly do they calm down and do they calm down because sometimes there's a bunch of people who will come in and they're kind of at a low level irritation frustration as their baseline and then they have these peaks of anger but they're sort of they never get to the point of like calm feeling sort of settled yeah and then I also ask about how intense it is like does it completely overwhelm them where they can't function yeah or is it that they're stewing about things or is it that there's sort of like a burst where they might you know snap at their friend or something like that and then it settles yeah yeah and so i mean and that's sort of interesting to think about sort of well what's your family like because mm. you know what are the you know what's your innate temperament like like are you like your dad who was always cross and angry or you, or you know your dad who was always quiet and stuff like that, whatever and also like you know how is it expressed is it, is your anger expressed in yelling and screaming mm. or is it expressed in sort of more passive uh, passive aggressive ways of not giving someone their mail or whatever mm. it is i don't know like or even um what i see a lot is complete withdrawal for multiple days as a response to anger as well where parents just won't speak to their children for days yeah or will only speak in terms of like dinner's ready or whatever but nothing else where it's kind of this simmering slow burn with withdrawing from everyone rather than interacting about it so it can go in any pretty much any direction yeah and i think that happens a lot in relationship breakups Mm. you know people just be like they'll just cut someone off you know, and then that'll be it, which can be very difficult for mm. the other person, that kind of thing. Yeah. We can think about working with anger issues as being about prevention and response. So Hunter's going to talk us through some of the prevention kind of strategies. So these are things to help reduce your tension and stress and anger on a day-to-day level so that then when it comes up, it doesn't completely overwhelm you. Yeah, yeah. It's a... Uh feels like a lot to run through there amy thanks i guess the first thing you would want to think about is you know when does it come up for you what are your triggers right so when do you notice the classic question when when does this happen what's going on for you when did it happen recently what's the pattern of it if you were going to go really 
in depth about it. It'd be creating an anger diary, writing down what they were, what were these events, recognizing the triggers and planning for them. A good way to think about it that I came across, Amy, was thinking about frustrations, annoyances, irritations, abuse, and unfairness, right? So mm-hmm. a frustration is something that happens when you're trying to do something and you find yourself blocked, right? You know, you're dis- disappointed, right? You're frustrated. Right? You're trying to get a job done and the, mm. the tool you need breaks, right? Just trying to play a computer game that you like playing and it just crashes all the time. Over and over again. Over and over again, hypothetically. Uh, then there's things like annoyances and irritations, right? So there's situations where things get on your nerves. Mm. Uh, <laughs> the thing that came straight to mind then was being on a tram in Melbourne when there was like, there was some kind of power failure and so all the trains didn't work mm-hmm. and so I had to catch a tram and instead of 20 minute journey into town it was like a 90 minute journey mm-hmm. on a packed tram and there was and and everyone was a bit frustrated and on that there was a young child who had like a little soft toy that he could press and it would like sing a song no. and um and it was getting this child through and killing everybody else. everybody else yeah so and eventually like like we'd all sort of nod our heads along with it in a way to try and kind of dissipate our, our irritation with it you know, the classic thing of like oh you know getting sauce on your shirt right before a date or something like that mm. you know, that kind of thing i used to work in an open plan office and there would be one of the fluorescent lights overhead that a couple of times a week would just flicker for the day. <laughs> and it was just, oh. so those, you'd call no, he... and it would be fine. <laughs> and it would just, yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, your eye would be twitching and you'd yeah. be feeling just. <laughs> this, is, this is where we divert into like, like <laughs> a two hour long pot about like how it keeps asking me for my new password right when I'm busy doing something at work. Anyway, the next kind of category we were talking about was abuse, like verbal or physical abuse. So verbal abuse is name calling, swearing, things like that, right? When that's directed at you or when in physical abuse, obviously someone's grabbing you, hitting you, threatening you, that kind of thing. It occurs less often, but we can definitely get angry with that. I think the other one that I think is big for a lot of people and particularly at the moment is this injustice, unfairness. Mm-hmm. When you haven't been treated fairly, so I think about that in a workplace where people will feel like they're being treated poorly or unfairly. Mm. Or I think, you know, in the world, social media is a great one for feeding this. And when things just don't seem to be going right, or it could be the injustice directed actually at you, that kind of thing. So, mm. you know, so I think those are kind of common threads, kind of common triggers. It can be pretty specific to the person as well. Yep. There'll be common patterns that keep on coming up in your day-to-day life or there'll be particular things that are guaranteed to set you off yep. every time yep. like the computer asking for your password over and over again or things like that that are specific to you when perhaps other things that are similar to that won't set yep. you off so the benefit of recognizing these things is you can plan for them now mm. often well, actually what happens is that we anticipate them and we then dwell on it mm-hmm. and then we get ourselves worked up right and we're already primed and ready to go right so you might be thinking about you know your partner's not going to do the thing that you want them to do or they're going to try and get out of paying for something or your friend's gonna and you're already thinking about it and you're already like half worked up or three quarters away worked up and then they do this thing that's 
relatively inconsequential and then you mm. snap, right? Yeah. So what you're already you, having the mental argument with them before the you, thing has happened. You've actually already had it, right? Yeah. So obviously from a if you're trying to reduce anger in your life and reduce the impact of it in your life, then you'd be wanting to think about first of all, when do these triggers occur and what can you do to avoid them or to reduce them? Mm. So that might be like maybe if your password's annoying you and you have computer issues, then get on top of changing it early and just move, <laughs> move on with your life, right? You know, and if you're anticipating, then you'd be thinking, well, is that really going to be helpful? Mm. And how could we do something to break that cycle? If you're noticing you're getting caught in a cycle before something, then have a think about, well, how long do I need to do this for? Mm. Is this actually going to help me? If you're going to have a meeting with your boss and you're irritated about something, then dwelling on it for two hours before the meeting, is that really going to make that meeting go well? I'm going to say it's probably not. So, And the thing that's coming into my head as you're talking about that is just how similar that is to a anxiety type of cycle yeah. where you're anticipating what's coming up. So I guess, again, tapping into that, well, how do I actually feel? Am I nervous or am mm. I angry or am I both? What's happening here? What is it about this upcoming thing that has me circling over and over and over again and and a good way to break that i think amy is to think about well how do i want it to go Mm. rather than thinking about the smart ass comment that you'd like to say (laughs) Mm. be more go all right what would be a good outcome of this meeting for you in general Mm. rather than winning per se. Yeah. Breaking down those other kinds of, so there was the anticipation, but then also breaking down sort of an anger moment, there's the impact, there's the moment that the anger is provoked. That's the first moment that you begin to feel something. So at that point, you can kind of intervene. So that might be about you're starting to get angry. That might be a time when you would think about trying to, I guess, de-escalate yourself or perhaps mm. even remove yourself from the situation. Other parts of sort of an anger moment is the engagement. So that point where anger starts to boil over. You're you're feeling agitated, tense, escalated, that kind of stuff. And then I think what's often neglected, we we don't often think about, is the reflection bit. Post being angry, mm. many people go through a real journey afterwards that's not particularly pleasant, mm. right? So you might replay it over and over again. So. What I'm thinking about there is Seinfeld <laughs> and George Costanza and the episode Jerk Store where he, he's just fixated on this situation yeah. and where he's, he, he wants to win this argument, win this moment and mm. it just consumes consumes his life for ages. So, or, the point where he applies for another job to be able to say the line that he wanted to say that's <laughs> weeks it. ago. That's yeah. it. And the other one that I think about is guilt. Mm. So guilt for acting badly. So if they've acted mm. aggressively or rudely. And you know, shame. shame. Yeah, guilt and shame. And why that's relevant. So people often feel that they should feel guilt or feel mm. shame, you know, and like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. But often the problem with that is that the person feels bad afterwards and that actually leaves them more vulnerable to feeling anger or feeling negatively in the future when, mm. when something bad happens, they feel more defensive. And so they, they can be actually more prone to being angry. And also the other thing I think about with guilt and shame, Amy, is that it 
prevents a good discussion around what triggered anger mm-hmm. and how both people may have triggered or contributed to a situation where anger where where someone got really angry so that's not to say to excuse someone's violent or aggressive behavior and say well the other person made me do it mm. that's not what I'm saying what I'm saying is that the in some cases there will be a situation where two people work together uh, or collude together mm. to make it and it triggers off anger and then obviously when we're angry then we can have an aggressive outburst or, or you know even abusive behavior so let, let's just be clear abusive behavior is and violence is the fault of the perpetrator mm. right but when we're thinking about how how can you re- improve or reduce anger between two people then it is worthwhile being able to think about well, what led up to that mm. and 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 how did that go and and sort of being clear-eyed about that and when you've got someone who is always going for the guilt shame thing like oh i'm so sorry i'm such a bad person blah blah blah, blah. or if the other person is saying you know you've got to apologize to me blah blah, blah, blah then those conversations don't happen mm. and that's really it's what, unresolved and that's what you want to have so if you're wanting to prevent anger and mm. and actually change things then you kind of need to have these kinds of things of like well i told you i, I needed to leave and you didn't let me leave and then mm. and then i found it really hard to contain myself mm. and you now that's a really important piece of the puzzle if mm. that kind of makes sense yeah it does do you often see people stuck in that final bit of reflecting on anger uh probably not a lot in mm. i think the client group as i do yeah was that, yeah i think the client group i work with the anger that they're experiencing they're often they're not really wanting to admit it that's mm. there. yeah whereas i think because kids are by nature quite um egotistical and that isn't a criticism of children it's just part so, of development so what does egotistical mean for they're focused on themselves yep. and so they have real trouble separating out behavior or emotion or thoughts or anything like that from who they are as people so often it's i'm a bad kid because i got angry yeah or because i threw that thing um and then they get stuck on that and can't quite move on from it and assume that anytime they feel that feeling it's confirmation that they're a bad kid so for them working on anger is really hard because it's like working on shame and their idea that they must be a bad kid. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Different population, different yeah. focus. Whereas I think people often don't want to admit that they're angry about the situation that they're in. Like, oh, you know, I've got a brain tumour and mm. and what this means. And I think that they don't want to admit that because then that comes with accepting the situation. Mm. So the Kubler-Ross stages or phases or however you want to kind of think of the common emotions that people have when they're faced with dying, you know, there's that, you know, and don't at me about the research on this, but they are common emotions. Mm. You know, the, the, there's denial and then there's anger and then there's the bargaining and sort of sadness, depression, right? There's also acceptance. But people often don't want to admit that they're angry. You know, the classic thing, you know, people don't want to admit that they're angry that their partner left them. Mm. Right, because then that means they have to admit that their partner left them, yeah, and that maybe they fucked up, yeah. You know, so yeah, it's quite complicated. Mm. Part of 
anger stuff seems to be about not just what the situation is, but then how we interpret it. And we spoke a bit last time about appraisals. Appraising the situation and how you understand it is a part of anger as well. Yeah, definitely. So psychologists often talk about ABCs, the was it antecedents, behaviour and consequences. Consequence? I hate I hate the ABCs. I, I I think about things as thoughts, feelings, behaviours. Mm. Um, and that there's TBC. And there's, <laughs> no TFB. Um, oh, feelings, not behaviour. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Mm. And that, and then there's a trigger. So basically, this gets back to this thing we were talking about, which is like a, the, the the primary secondary emotion thing. And really, if you think about like someone is angry, you know, you would go, okay, well, what was going on in that moment, and you'd be wanting to get them to describe, you know, what was going on, you know, where were they physically, what was behaviourally going on, what led up to it, and then you'd be asking them how did they respond, you know, physiologically in their body, how did they act, and then you'd say to them, so what you're doing is you're building up a mental picture for somebody, and then you're saying, okay, so when all this was going on, Amy, you know, what was running through your head at that time? Mm. And what I'm looking for there is a cognition or a thought, right? Mm. And that will be idiosyncratic to the situation. So, which is that, you know, I was really worried that if we implement this thing at work, then uh, it's going to ruin everything, mm. right? And or, or I was really worried that the, the children were going to touch this thing and break it, whatever it might be. You know, and that, so that would be a worry, worry-related anger. So... But often that thought is incredibly difficult to access mm-hmm. right? and it takes a lot of training to work that out or it takes a, a you know, you trusting a, a clinician mm. to kind of work through that. But and, and then you can then also do things like train someone up to work on cognitive strategies to kind of deal with that that thought of like, well, you know, is that really true? And, and if, if that had happened, would it really be would it really be as bad as what you're thinking? You know, you jump to conclusions and things like that. So, mm. But at core, really, I guess what Amy and I are talking about is trying to understand what's going on for somebody in the moment and, and that often opens up a way to helping someone reduce their anger. Really what we're trying to do is we're trying to manage anger. We're not trying mm. to control it. We're trying to reduce it and manage it because the idea of controlling anger only feeds more anger, unfortunately. So. Absolutely. I feel like I've been talking a lot. So I'm going to ask you, Amy, mm. strategies, uh, other strategies? Or what are the strategies there for responding when someone feels angry? There's a few strategies that can help when you're feeling angry. One of them applies to both sort of managing things in between times and when you're angry. So I might start with that one. That one is relaxation. So I can hear everybody rolling their eyes like through. I was totally rolling my eyes, listeners. You were. Yeah, you were looking at me. But Actually, no, I did roll my eyes. I was just staring at you because you knew that I would be rolling my eyes. But yes. yes. Why do people roll their eyes with relaxation and anger? <sighs> because it can be really wanky. I think that often people are told to breathe or calm down or think about you know, what's going on around them or think about the positives or anything that feels sort of a bit airy-fairy or like it's minimising mm. or, you know, if you if you just do this thing, then everything will be better. When you're already feeling angry and irritated, hearing that just ups it for a lot of people. Yeah. The thing about 
relaxing is that it's about training your body and your mind to be able to calm down. So it's not so much about, oh, you just need to forget everything that's wrong. You just need to sort of, you know, breathe and say om and do some yoga. Mm -hmm. It's about being able to settle yourself when you're unsettled. And the way that you do that is you have to be able to practice it. You have to do it a little bit like training a muscle. You have to do it over and over again to be able to learn that. It's Mm -hmm. not something you can just pick up in the middle of a rage and go, oh, that's right. I was supposed to breathe and it's just going to pop into your head. (laughs) It's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can't just breathe in once and you're going to be calm. Exactly. Right? And so yeah. expecting that to help is going to fail. Right? Often with kids, if you just tell them to breathe rather than describing anything, they'll like take a big deep breath in and then hold their breath while they're angry. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's not going to do it. Like technically you did breathe, yeah. but <laughs> it's not going to help. Just breathe normally I think is a good thing. Exactly. Good, good thing so you're talking so we just so we just need to learn to relax just in the moment no no we need to be able to bring in some strategies day by day that help us settle when we're not angry as well as when we're angry yeah can i just can i just going back on the annoyances i hate the word strategies (laughs) that's the psychologist would you agree though that learning how to relax is helpful yes so the reason that i think about why learning how to relax if you're finding yourself in a period where you're angry Mm -hmm. and we are all facing a period where we are currently uh, frustrated and angry covid Mm -hmm. particularly so with that in mind what we need to do is to relax so Mm -hmm. and why that's important is it lowers our overall arousal level so our physiological arousal level so if you're struggling with being angry and short with people, then finding a way to essentially just unwind mm. is going to make that easier for you. Mm. So It's like that sort of analogy about a elastic band being stretched. Yeah. It, it's going to snap at a tiny thing compared to if you can relax it a little bit. Mm. If you can take the tension out of it just a little bit, you've got some more leeway to deal with the day-to-day things that, come up and put pressure on yeah yeah exactly right so yeah so i mean i think so there's there's Mm. two ways that it's important one is the every day you know make sure you have a lunch break if you've heard this before i've said this lots of of times before make sure you have a lunch break make sure you get outside make sure you get some sunlight and water do something i'm i'm really concerned we've spoken a couple of times today and you have not asked me what i've eaten at all (laughs) Now you're just irritating me. <laughs> I've, lo- I've lost my train of thought. Where was I? But you're right. The get outside. Do something that is not whatever it is that frustrates you in your day-to-day life. If you're finding that listening to the news on the way into work is frustrating you or is feeding your cycle or flicking through Twitter right before you go to sleep is perhaps not actually helping you, then don't do it for a couple of days and just see. You know, just change that up. And I think people are often surprised at how much small things will actually help them relax. It often doesn't take much tweaking. So so let me let me push you on something. What if someone comes to see you, an adult, mm. right? They find they're frustrated with their kids, right? Mm. And they find they're snapping with them. And that parent decided, oh, look, I need to have a strategy to help myself relax in the moment. What mm. are you talking about? It depends on the age of the child. Uh, if the children are really little, then it's about something they can do in the moment with their child right there. 
And so usually it's something about, because the children, say if they leave the room, say if they take want to take a break and have some space from their kid and the screaming, the child's going to follow them because that's what small children do. They're going to continue talking about what they're talking about, etc. Yeah. So it needs to be something they can do in in place. So often it's taking a couple of deep breaths in sitting where they are, where they can. Otherwise, it's if they're older and you can actually get some space, then we work on a family systems thing about everybody being able to have a bit of a time out okay. away from the other people. So, so let me let me wind you back there for a second. Deep breaths. Mm. Let's talk about what that actually means. Yep. What does what when someone says take a deep breath? And so for listeners at home, what do you mean by a deep breath? A deep breath is usually slower than your normal breathing, and if see, it's interesting talking about it with an adult. So with a kid, I would get them to put something on their stomach, and if you breathe deeply, your stomach goes out. So mm-hmm. with an adult, you can put your hand there, or you can notice that if you're breathing deeply, your stomach expands, and rather than it just being shallow in the top of your chest. So with kids, I whack a teddy or something on their stomach and get them to breathe and push the teddy up, and they're able to do that. But deep breathing, it tends to be slow. It tends to be pretty even between inhaling and exhaling. So you might inhale while you count to two or three and exhale for the same amount. And then you repeat that over and over again, ideally for a minute or so. Yeah. Because just doing it once, because often during, someone will say, take a deep breath. Actually, actually, I think actually fires you up for more stuff, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it has to be slow there's a bit of stuff about box breathing as well where you breathe in and then hold for the same amount and then breathe out hold yep doesn't doesn't work without the visual there amy but i'm drawing a square in the air (laughs) not really the um so it's actually interesting i i talk about it in a very similar way so i i will get people to put their hand on their stomach and and tell them to breathe normally and say you know well how many seconds was it in and out right and then I say, all right, well, I want you to do it for one or two seconds more. So, mm. I mean, the, the, the deep breath, okay, you guys might just be listening, rolling your eyes, going, oh, I know what a deep breath is. But this is so fundamentally important. Like, mm. So, if you're cross and you're angry and you're frustrated in the moment, breathe in for three seconds, hold it for a second and breathe out for three seconds mm. and do that a couple of times, right? it will just slow you down. Will you mm. go from a 9 out of 10 anger to a 1 out of 10 calm, you know, Hindu cows kind of situation? <laughs> nope. But will it maybe take you down to an 8.5 or an 8? Mm. Yeah, maybe. Right? Yeah. Or it might give you some time to think. And really, yeah. I guess what we're wanting to do is to slow you down. Exactly. And it slows you down physically as well as mentally. Mm-hmm. If you do it for that little longer, if you take a few of those, then it, you know, can slow your heart rate down, drop your blood pressure a bit, just give you a little bit more space physically as well as mentally. With kids, I also get them to blow bubbles if it's the kid that's angry. So you can't blow a bubble when you're breathing really quickly because you have to do a slow exhalation. So it's far easier to get a kid to blow a bubble than it is to tell them to breathe when they're angry. They tend to throw things at you. But if you just hand them a thing of bubbles usually they can't help themselves yeah 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 and you have to focus on your breath at a particular rate you do to get yeah. the bubble out yeah how do you go on timeouts what's your uh, 
philosophy on timeouts? Mixed. Mixed. I think that timeouts can be really helpful, having a break, stepping away from the situation. But I think that it needs to be communicated beforehand that that's something that you're going to try. Like say if you're talking about a family in a house, that when people get angry, if they need some space, that they can have that option. Um, Usually I go for some sort of physical signal um, and different families will choose different things where it's okay. If mum puts her coffee cup on this stool, it means that she's going to go and have 10 minutes sitting in the garden and no one can go and talk to her while she has a bit of a breather and, and everybody will have a signal that works in the house, usually because if they speak, they end up cracking it and saying something nasty or shouting or losing it more. So saying something, doing something physical often is easier for people and it helps those people who get really angry and can't get their words out, they can still do it. Yeah, so, so the idea of a timeout is to get yourself out of the situation to give yourself time to calm mm. and and then things can then rejoin. So And that's the critical bit, the coming back. Yeah. And so you don't want to be going away but then coming back and being angry and going, right, I'm going to tear them a new one or, you know Yeah, it's all el- the time to prepare your argument. Yeah. So 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 it's a time for calming yourself and then thinking through like what we're we talking about is like, well, what was going on for me in that moment what was my thought process and you know was i overreacting in that situation was i jumping to a conclusion was i thinking black and white have i explained myself clearly whatever it is try and think about what the best outcome might be mm. and i think the other part like i think what you said amy which is really important is that it's agreed upon so mm. someone with an anger problem might go i need to have a time out now for other people who are in the moment who can see the other person get angry, that might piss everybody off. It's like, yeah. no, you're just escaping, yeah. right? And you're not dealing with the problem. So the people who are, who hear that I'm going to go for a timeout might escalate, mm. which you could imagine where that's going to go. Yeah. So, so Usually it ends up with that person feeling sort of cornered and... And, then, and then exploding... And then, and then exploding, and then yeah. and then triggering the the guilt shame cycle that we talked about, and exactly. So, so you can sort of see how these things sort of feed in. So, as psychologists, you want to break mm. break the pattern up. So, to run through them like a good psychologist does at the end of session, right? <laughs> you know, relaxation is something that you can do day to day. There's also the skills in the moment about helping you relax to kind of get those thought processes going. There's also the stuff. You know, preemptively, like if are you getting into a pattern of thinking about something beforehand? And if that's the case, then can you not do that or what's that about? Mm. There's the obviously what we were sort of saying in the moment, the, the the relaxation in the moment. But there's also the you might find that, okay, I'm getting angry in this moment and what's that about? And you might in some instances might actually be able to think your way through it mm. and calm yeah. yourself down. And then I yeah. guess, and then post it is about, okay, if you've had an angry outburst, then how can you get through, get get to a point where you're not still angry or mm. how can you avoid that from happening again and talking to people and things like yeah. that. So yeah, do you have other thoughts on that? Uh, probably the last thing is that if you're trying to do this stuff with your kids, kids can be a little bit different. 
in that they're relaxation stuff, it's better if it's physical. And actually I think some adults it's similar. They struggle with the breathing thing or they're just sitting. They need to physically do something. Yeah, go for a walk. Yeah. Go for a walk. Kids usually have a particular physical way that they respond. So like they will, whenever they're angry, they'll push someone over, for example, or push against something or they'll kick or things like that. So for those kids, I get them to stand in a doorway and push against the door frame rather than mm. pushing their sibling over. And they have to push as hard as they possibly can for as long as they can. And usually that discharges a bit of that energy. And also they have to breathe because they're trying to like exert energy mm. and it gives them, it follows through with that movement. Because otherwise what happens is they go away, they breathe, they come back, they push their sibling over. Yeah. You can pretty much guarantee the same cycle. Yeah, so if they're, they throw they're just things, waiting, yeah. yeah. Yeah, if they throw things, I get them to bounce the ball. If they tense up, I get them to squeeze things. And actually for adults, knowing your own physical things that calm you down, like, you know, a cup of tea or something warm for me will always calm me down. So I'll go and make a cup of tea and sit with a cup of tea while I breathe. Yeah. Because that's going to do more than just sitting and breathing. I need yeah. something to focus on. Yeah. What well, what what's what's going to what's an activity that's going to wind you up further, and what's an activity that's going to help mm. calm you down? Yeah, yeah. I think probably me walking around can can have the counter thing because I can get worked it's up. It's like revving up one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Toys. Exactly. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Because it, it strikes. I remember I worked with a, a nurse, and he'd been a psychiatric nurse, and he said that they had like a like an old wreck of a car. Mm. And they just and they had like a sledgehammer or something, and so like some of the some of the patients could just go and bang the shit out of this car, like as a way. That's like fun. Yeah. So I mean, I I'm I'm I don't know how I feel about discharging anger and screaming or, or hitting something. I think if you're going to do something physical, it has to be contained and not harmful. Yeah. And so something like you know pushing against a wall, you're not hurting anybody or or hurting yourself because that's often what happens people punch a wall or something like that and then end up injured and then that feeds into the guilt shame anger causes more problems yeah well a rather lengthy discussion about anger um we hope it's been useful we're going to go to things we came across and we're going to leave you with a bit of uh analyze this and learning how to discharge anger (laughs) You know, you know what I do when I'm mad, Paul? I hit a pillow. Just hit the pillow. See how you feel. There's your fucking pillow. Feel better? Yeah, I do. Good. Try to widen and make more consistent our description of what we see. As it gets wider and wider and we see a greater range of phenomena, the explanations become what we call laws instead of simple explanations. This is the break. This is the bit where I torture Hunter for usually about two minutes. He's already breathing deeply. He's really using those strategies that Serenity he's just now! learned. Serenity now! <laughs> But actually, this middle bit is about saying thank you so much for listening. And could you please let the world know how much you adore us through the medium of iTunes reviews and stars and whatnot. Is, 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 is it still iTunes? I thought it was it's, Apple Podcasts. Well, 
you can access it both ways, so I never know what to say. And it's quite clear there's a whole lot of listeners who don't listen on Apple Podcasts and listen on other on other podcast apps, which you know what the problem is? blows my mind. That, that well, the problem is if they rate us on those. Yes. I did a bit of research. Okay. That then it doesn't improve how much people can find us because the rankings of how we're listed on all of those other websites is determined by Apple. Okay. So we need people to go to Apple, even if that's not where they list things. Don't go to the Apple things. store. That that's not going to help you. So Apple on their Apple. app. Yes. Or the computer. Yes, that is where you praise us. <laughs> <laughs> that is the medium of praise we will accept. Yes. We're also in lockdown in Melbourne, and so there's been lots of talk about that. The only things we should be receiving at the moment are sort of chocolate and gin in the mail. Mm. Um, I don't know if this is the spot to ask for that from strangers or if that's weird. <laughs> Tushringspot at gmail.com and uh, Amy will give out her address And you, if you are going to give her gin. That's it. You can also follow us on Twitter uh, at Tushringspod and, uh, or you can check out our website. But yeah, look, we've had some, we got, got an email today from someone who had been listening and was really enjoying the show. So, And every now and then we get feedback about what we could cover and things like that. And we do actually listen to those things and, and, and uh, always sort of interested in getting some feedback and seeing how we can make this pod more interesting for people because we do really like it. Like if you know, if we've done an episode on something and you want us to do a follow-up, let us know and we can, we can check it out because often we're just kind of, you know, if you look at the titles, we, we kind of jump around. <laughs> yeah, we're going with what interests us on the day before we record. <laughs> Many times we plan something and it doesn't, and, and then a day before we're like, yeah, no, we're not doing that anymore. We're doing something else. You'd be amazed at how many unused notes that we've got going. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so good. Anyway, let's go. Yes, we can do this. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. We like to finish up every show with a segment that we call Things We Came Across. And this is always about that odd article that you find when you're looking for something else that seems far more interesting than the thing that you were actually looking for. Or occasionally it's about the things that Hunter and I have Googled over the week and then have gone, huh, that's a thing. And then here we are. We ramble. So are you ready for me to... Yeah, shoot. Yeah, go for it. Okay, when you were a kid, mm-hmm. did like like a primary schooler, did you ever cheat on a test? Did I ever cheat on a test? Probably, <laughs> probably like looking over, or mm. maybe the whole idea of like having a whole of list of of answers for mm-hmm. a thing. No, no. But, but um, sitting next to the the kid in the class so you knew you would have the answers. And Look, so I'm going to disclose something here. So on my pencil case that I had at university, mm. I I wrote a code on it t- to help me remember type one and type two errors. <laughs> so I had like one, uh, type one is you reject, no, you accept the hy- null hypothesis when you should reject it. Mm-hmm. And type two is you accept it. No, you're... 
I see, I can't remember. Anyway. The code has worked. <laughs> well, see, it clearly didn't, right? Anyway, so basically I had like a 1RA and 2AR or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah. So that was... Uh, no, well, what? because it was just like numbers and letters, so it's not really anything. I knew I what it I remember someone getting caught in an exam at uni because she wrote pretty much as many notes as she could on her thighs <laughs> <laughs> and was found by one of the um, you know, moderators in the toilet. <laughs> and she, at the sink, she decided to have one last look. No. Wow. And they walked into the, you know, hand washing area and saw her looking under her dress. No way. Yeah. God, yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of a, there's a red dwarf in the book Red Dwarf. He does that. Rimmer gets all sweaty. And then the well, ink that's just... what I was thinking. Like, you know, it was a summer exam. She took a risk. So, but... so how, how does this tie in? So I found an article that's about that's by a bunch of Chinese researchers who wanted to know whether there were whether there had to be sort of physical barriers to stop children from cheating or whether they could just be kind of imagined. So what they did was that they ran four studies with five and six-year-olds mm-hmm. who were asked to do this set of maths problems that weren't able to be completed in the time that they set. Like there was no way they were achievable. The experimenter put an answer sheet on a table nearby and instructed the kid not to cheat and then they put in a bunch of different conditions. Yep. So in the condition where they did nothing, where the answer sheet was just over to the side, half of the children cheated by looking across at the table and reading the answers and then filling them in on their sheet. They then put a metal frame that just had transparent sheeting in between the kids' table and that table so you could see through it. And they also tried a metal frame with nothing in it at all. Mm. So obviously you could see through. And the frames were there, didn't say anything to the kid, didn't mention anything about it. And the empty frame dropped the cheating from half down to about 30%. And the transparent sheeting dropped it down to 15%. Kids <laughs> just stopped cheating. So then they then moved it around the room to different spots to test where it had to be for the kids then to stop cheating. Yep. And basically, if it was in the line of sight when they looked over to the table where the answers were, it had that effect. Yeah, kids wow. would just... Yeah, stop cheating. And in the last study, there was no barriers and the experimenter came in with a toy wand Mm -hmm. and drew a rectangle in the air and said, this is an invisible frame between, it's magic, magic frame between the tables. And that was just as effective as having an empty frame there. (laughs) So less kids cheated. So what what do you take away from that? Well, their idea was that it was sort of like triggering those social cues. The kids went, well... I know that they're putting it there for a reason. They're not saying what the reason is, but it's got to be that I'm not supposed to cheat. Mm. And so they kind of read it and understood. I mean, I I think that's the only possible explanation, so, really, because so they could have I'm, done it. I'm just thinking about this. You didn't disclose whether you had or hadn't. You just disclosed that you saw someone else cheating. Did you Have you ever had an experience of... No, I, I'm, I'm too guilt-prone. I, I was the kid that people were cheating off. Yeah, right. Or I was the kid who would sit next to my friend and like angle my paper that direction when I saw that they were struggling and I'd write them little notes in the margins. <laughs> I was that kid. It's I-E, not E-R, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was the colluding one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I th- yeah, I think any kinds of little cheating behavior was often like something I really couldn't remember. Mm. I'd bullshit. 
but I wouldn't outright cheat. So I talk around something or like at uni I worked out that if you used particular keywords, some of them were sort of scored by honours students who would just like scroll through so yeah. sentences would be really long so that then at some point in there would be the, the answer. <laughs> That sort of it's such a nerdy you know, way of cheating. I'm going to flood them with information, and that will so, that'll do it. So where are we going for me? Uh, so I was thinking anger, and in lockdown, one of the things that we our householders are delighted in doing is the musical Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been great. And Hamilton is a absolutely fantastic thing. So I of course did the complete and utter parent thing of like, oh, what other musicals are out there? <laughs> And, oh, just where you're going. and so, so, so this ties into anger quite well because I um I made my children watch the Sound of Music. Actually, we're only about halfway rage. halfway through out of rage and frustration. It's really slow. Like watching it, it watching it and as really, an adult, it's really really slow as a film. And listeners, when he says he provoked rage. This isn't an understatement. Like I saw them <laughs> at the park days later and the first thing his son said to me was, oh, we had to watch The Sound of Music. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make them watch the rest of it this weekend. The, um, and, 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 and my eight-year-old kept asking when the Germans were going to invade. I, <laughs> this, with I don't know. With, with, with the, um, uh, you know, what I've, I found really interesting watching it as, as an older person <laughs> is like how much I was just like, look at the architecture. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it, it it is actually beautiful. So, and then it's because it's in Salzburg, Austria. And then I was watching Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade a few days later, and he go he drives past Salzburg, in, in, like you know when they have like the traveling by map, and it's like the little red line going on thing. It's like this is how we travel by map. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, there's there was that bit. Anyway, so this got me. So I so I looked up the sound of music in a journal search engine mm-hmm. <laughs> to see what I got a hit on. Found an article. It's in the Journal of Travel and Tourism Marketing. And I was going to be curious about this journal because I wonder what the impact factor of the Journal of Travel and Tourism Marketing. So impact factor, if you don't know, is a, is a measurement of how often articles in a, a journal is are cited. And so the higher it is, then the more influential impact in theory the the thing does so it, there's a lot of issues with that measure but anyway but it's sort of interesting so the so the journal of travel and tourism marketing is 3.470 impact factor right and my favorite and the leading journal in psych oncology mm-hmm. which is called psych oncology has a impact factor of 3.455 <laughs> Anyway, the, the article is called An Exploratory Study of Movie-Induced Tourism, the case of the movie of The Sound of Music and its locations in Salzburg, Austria. Mm-hmm. So, look, long story short, they wanted to investigate reasons for uh, why people go to movie locations mm-hmm. or, you know, tourists who go to a place and is it related to the fact that a movie has been shot there. Have you ever gone in? They want to twirl on a hill. In a big skirt. I actually think, I actually knew independently of reading this article that you can actually get on a helicopter and do, and they will fly the route above that thing if you're really nice. wanting to relive relive that. Have you ever gone anywhere solely because it was in a film? Mm. 
I don't think solely because, but I've, like, I might have been going to a place and then knew that something was filmed in that place where I was already going and visited that, but not created a trip out of it. Yeah, I mean, the the beauty about living in Australia is if you go anywhere else, films have been filmed there. (laughs) So, so, you know, if you go to America, like every city, go to Chicago, like, oh, yeah, Blues Brothers, yeah, Mm. or Manhattan with every other movie or... Yeah, you know, I think it probably I went to Alcatraz because I saw Escape from Alcatraz. Oh yeah, and The Rock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they talk about the bridges of Madison County meant that there was all these tourists went to Iowa and caused like a whole lot of problems in terms of the infrastructure there was not designed to have lots of tourists come through. Yeah. So. Well, uh, it wouldn't be. No, no, not like you know, and 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 they also talk about the Field of Dreams, which is also in Iowa. Dances with Wolves and things like that. So apparently there's like lots of articles have attempted to explain the reasons for popularity of film locations and they cite like eight, which is kind of like a lot. Like you would have, I wouldn't have thought it would have been that complicated anyway. No. Um, I think people like the movie and like yep. going to places they've seen. Yep. Yep. Yeah, you know, and and so other examples I talked about was like Close Encounters where there's the, the, the giant mountain that's got like mm. the flat top. Yeah, and so the, they talked about like the tourist benefits, the tourist dollar benefits, but also that you know other negative side effects is that things like Saving Private Ryan, people might go to Omaha Beach and then like want to like wander inland to like recreate, except that the film was filmed in Ireland and like and so like the rest of that experience is Go fictional, on. so it's not right there. <laughs> so. There were some theories around like movies sort of create icons, focal points that lures people to a location, you know, or it might just be that, wow, you know, Lord of the Rings attracted a lot of people to New Zealand just simply because mm. it was amazing scenery. Although I did work with a woman and she went on a like a Lord of the Rings tour and mm. and there was a guy, she showed me this footage of this guy and he was dressed exactly like one of the characters and kind of looked like one of the characters and he yeah. was and he like rehearsed the line and he was standing in the same spot or something <laughs> anyway you know people go to Thelma go to the cliff where Thelma Louise drive off yep. you know that kind of about experiencing the emotions that mm. were in that moment um, I was thinking there'd be a lot of movies where people want that feeling yeah. that that is in that scene yeah like like uh and the the, the one they talk about here is like crocodile dundee and people going mm. out to the wilds of northern australia to sort of experience mm. that thing so i mean i, I kind of get that anyway long story short you've booked a trip to, <laughs> <laughs> to salzburg Just... you want to twirl in a big skirt on the hill don't you that's it with my how is it seven children yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. it <laughs> but yeah but basically i don't know are we interested in the results i don't know <laughs> Were well, the results pretty much what we expect? Yeah, pretty much. Just basically that if you'd seen a, if you'd seen the movie, and if you'd seen, and particularly like if you'd seen it more than six times, that you're more likely to want to go there. Huh. So, um, so if you really like the movie, presumably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it basically, you know, confirms that movies familiarise audiences with places and attractions that feature them, and can you know gives you a bit of a familiarity with it, and also like films really are like a dominant source of information. They so, are, yeah. It's often your first exposure to a different place. Yeah, I, I actually quite like if I know, if I know I'm going to a place, I quite like watching movies set mm. in that place. And yeah, also, yeah. I and when I'm in a place, I quite like listening to music 
from that place. Mm. I like buying a book and reading a book by someone who wrote it there. Yeah. Okay, yeah. 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 I think for me, musing is probably the same with books. Like, mm. like I remember listening to a lot of Beastie Boys when I was in Manhattan and surrounds. It just, I don't know, it gave a different feeling to the music for some reason. Mm. Yeah, so I, yeah, I don't know, it kind of gave And it. then do you have that same thing that I do where when you, you hear that song, it connects you back? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. I love that. Yeah, I had a Swedish song, like Swedish artist playlist, and then yeah. I listened to that when I was in, traveling through Sweden. Yeah, it was really cool. Nice. So, yeah, awesome. <laughs> well, let's wrap it up. It's probably been a bit of a longer pod than we meant. Yeah, it happens. But um, look, I uh, hope that this was useful and uh, stay calm. Don't drive angry. <laughs> See you next time. See you. Bye. As we try to widen and make more consistent our description of what we see, as it gets wider and wider and we see a greater range of phenomena, the explanations become what we call laws instead of simple explanations. Proposing a snow tire day at Yankee Stadium. As long as I don't throw them on the field. Happy <laughs> something some shrimp. I brought it up for everybody. I have to say, this this proposal doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, you never know. Let's see how many I can fit in my mouth. <laughs> you know, George, the ocean called. They're running out of shrimp. <laughs> oh, yeah, Riley? <laughs> <laughs> well, the jerk store called. They're running out of you. <laughs> What's the difference? You're their all-time bestseller. <laughs>